How are you doing, people? Yes, yes, it's that time again. This is episode 25 of Echoes from the Void. Ha! And we're keeping it fresh, we're keeping it live as we do week in, week out. You know, got some fun things for today. Um, got some reviews, went to a couple of gigs. So we're going to talk about that. Read a few books, watched some TV, you know, as we do. But, um, hey, you know what? The one kind of crazy thing is, it's just like, look, when people talk to me and be like, yo, I enjoyed last week's episode, you know what I mean? It's always a little bit of a shock because you're just thinking, oh, shit. Like, loads of people were listening, man. People were enjoying this crazy bullshit, which is great. And especially when, like, people that you find ridiculously funny and you hear them talking on other podcasts and shit and it kind of, you kind of see that they're liking your shit and it's just like, oh, god damn it. Are they listening? So, you know what I mean? Look, everyone that's listening and has been listening since, you know, we started this shit in June. Yo, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Remember to share with your friends, right? Share with your friends, leave some comments on iTunes and all of that thing. Just so we can grow this shit, you know what I mean? And, we're, yo, we're going to be taking it up to the next level. There's going to be theme tunes. There's going to be better effects. There's going to be all of that stuff. But it's just a work in progress. You know what I mean? Alright. So, as we do, let's um, let's get to some news, shall we? Because there's some weird shit that's been happening. Um, so, yeah. Like, okay. Okay, alright, let's get to this first piece. So it looks like feminists in Nottingham have got their, well, let's just say it man, their knickers in a twist. (laughs) So the Marks and Spencers in Nottingham, and I've been to that Marks and Spencers, yeah, it's not a bad Marks and Spencers, it's a big one. Yeah, so they like people are um, complaining about their um, window displays because they're running a campaign about out the things we must have for Christmas. You know, we seem similar things, and on one of the one of these uh, call for actions are fancy little knickers and this has got yeah this has got the 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 feminists riled like someone has um put a sign over fancy knickers and it says full human rights full human rights so it's not done very well because it just reads now you've got this sign on a bit of the window so the window reads must have fancy little full human rights 
yeah, a bit of a mess. They could have done better. I mean, I think, yeah, they, they need to try a little bit harder with that. But, um, yeah, they're just, they're not happy. And uh, so a, a, a group that are called Feminist Friends Nottingham, like one of their members, um, <laughs> has said this. Okay, MS Nottingham, have we really not learned anything in the last 35 years? Or am I alone in finding this, their major window display, completely vomit-inducing? And, yeah, it's a bit... I don't know, it's weird. Like, you know, she's saying that this this sign has put her off shopping at Marks and Spencers. And they're like they're going, I, I think MS using the slogan must have over Christmas fripper, Christmas fripperies is very distasteful when true necessities are lacking for many working and non-working people. The true necessities being warmth, shelter and food, she says. Oh dear. And it's just like, you know, she's always like, I also feel very, very strongly about the representation of women as being preoccupied with fancy little knickers. Which is... I think it's kind of ludicrous. Like, her her claims and her statements are ludicrous. Because having nice underwear does not change your values. Like, you know what I mean? If you want to have nice underwear, it, it doesn't mean you're any less a feminist than, you know, your, your friend who might be in burlap undies, you know, or just going commando, maybe, it, it doesn't change the fact, underwear doesn't make the person, so to, to claim otherwise is ridiculous, and then also to, to think that a, a sign in a superstore's window is like going, you know, well, the world, you know, most people in the world, they need warmth and, you know, food and shelter. And this frivolizes. It doesn't frivolize that. It's a shop. What do you expect them to do? Like, what do, like, yeah, this is the thing. What do you want them to do? You know, just go have pictures of starving people in the window and go, please give to the... No, they've got a bottom line that they've got to meet. And another thing, Marks and Spencers do give a lot of money to charity. So don't start acting like they're not doing anything. Now, obviously, you know, you, you could feel that they could give more, but they're a shop. They're a business. They're employing people. So there's a bottom line here. What are we expecting from, and if you're moaning at them, 
you have to moan at every single shop in that high street. You know what I mean? Like, what do you expect from all of these outlets? That's the question. What do you expect from all of these outlets? You you, you think that they, they shouldn't make money? They shouldn't employ people? Like, what what is the thing? Don't jump on a message that you misconstrue and then start trying to make a racket of it. Look, feminism isn't bad. It's not... People want to kind of make the thing is, if you're a feminist, you need to be all the way over here. Like you have, all your thoughts have to be this, this and this. You cannot stray from that path, because if you do, you're down with the oppressive man, you bitch. No, let's not be ridiculous. You can wear nice clothes if you want. You can wear nice underwear if you want doesn't change who you are, because a lot of these people, they, they want to go, right, I'm doing this, and I'm down here, I'm holding a sign, that doesn't make you a good person, doesn't make you a righteous person, it just makes you a person that wants to be front and centre, wants to make you feel looked at, you want to feel, in, you know, engaged with something, you want people to see that you're, you know, you're offended, oh poor you, let me get the fucking violin, god damn it man, it's just, you know, it's nonsensical, this whole thing is nonsensical, and they're they're blaming, you know, like people getting sexualized, look, you've taken one part of a campaign, now there's another window because they're saying that, oh, the men are, like, they're saying women need to have fancy little knickers and men are told to dress to impress. There is another window on the same MS store in Nottingham that says women must have outfits to impress. So it's not just saying, oh, women just need un- fancy underwear to impress their men or impress their girlfriends. No. It's one little part of a campaign that is talking about lots of different things. But they want to make it sound like the underwear is the only thing that's talking to women. No, because, yeah, it feeds into the narrative they want to send out, which is ridiculous. And I don't know why these websites give this bullshit the time and day, because it's not a true conversation, it's just people wanting to be outraged, looking for anything they can to do it, so I would say that these feminist friends of Nottingham need to um, do better things with their time, you know what I mean, maybe, hey, raise money for the homeless people around the world, like the the people on the border of Mexico, the people in Paris and all the shelters over there, the people in Syria, 
the people that have been affected by the wild fires in California. You know, the animals dying around the world. Hey, how about you concentrate on that and not a stupid fucking campaign, you bunch of losers. So another crazy thing that's happened is an an American um, missionary was killed. Uh, Yeah, he was killed on um, North Sentinel Island, which is just off of India. Uh, yeah, he he went to go and visit endangered tribes that live um, on this island. So, yeah, it's like the Andaman and Nicobar um tribes and islands that are all part of this kind of area and the problem is right so the tribes that live here the, you know the um the in um indigenous andaman tribes there's between 50 and 150 of them you know so there's not a lot of these people and it's illegal to um interfere with them it's illegal to take thick pictures videos like you know what i mean just interact with them because we're not meant to interfere with their way of life you know we're not meant to break the evolutionary journey that they are on but this guy went he went to uh, preach to them about Christianity and this is the problem look like have your religion that's fine there's no problem at all with that like there's so many different religions around the world but we shouldn't try and 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 force and force our views onto other people. Now, yeah, if if there's tribes around the world living in the rainforests or these isolated islands, if they believe in different gods or whatever, that's fine. They are not bothering anyone else with their beliefs. Their lives are are not inferior because then they're not following any recognized dictated religion. You know, these people are probably ridiculously happy. They're content with the way they're living their lives. So who the fuck are we to go over and go, oh, you know, you should be wearing shoes, and you should be wearing clothes, and you should be, you know, praying on a Sunday on your hands and knees, and you should, you know, no, they, they can do what the fuck they want to do, so, look, if you have been asked by someone to go, and just give a little presentation, or, or whatever, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, 
I don't understand the mentality that you need to go and force your beliefs onto someone else. You know, if you want to denigrate the way they live and say, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You need to be doing this. No, 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 no. you're fucked up. You shouldn't be doing that. And you're putting yourself in danger, which sometimes puts other people in danger because they have to come and save your ass a lot of the time. So that's fucked up. And also, look, if you go and, yeah, you, you get in trouble, you get killed, what about your loved ones? How the fuck do you think that will make them feel? You know, it, it's just fucked. It's wrong. It's all manner of wrong. And so, yeah, th- this guy, he went, these, th- some fishermen took him over to the island and they said that the tribe just shot him full of arrows when he was on the beach, shot him full of arrows, so, you know, now these fishermen have been arrested, so this missionary, I'm sure, like, gave him a lot of money, more money than they've probably had so for them to do it was just like shit we can now feed our family you know we can do this so they what they ferried him across but now that puts them in a situation so it's just something man it's just like look let's just let other people be happy you know I mean follow the things that we want to follow and don't force our ideologies onto others yeah I think that should be the Christmas message. It should be the way we, you know, go forward with things. Okay, so the the news this week has been a bit on the dour side. So here's a fun little tidbit for you. A German teenager got his driving license. And then 49 minutes later, the little fucker lost it. This is like, how the hell do you lose your license that quickly? It's insane. So he's 18 and um, he's driving home from doing his test. <laughs> and <laughs> the a policeman clocks him with a laser gun um <laughs> going about twice the speed limit it, it, it is just like what was he doing but supposedly he, he had four of his friends crammed into his car so we know exactly what he was doing he passed his test and now he's showing off to his boys like, look, I can take us to gigs. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm going to get all the girls with the car. Look how fast I can drive. I'm amazing. And so, um, yeah, little fucker lost his license. But see, but the thing is, so he he doesn't lose it for good this is the thing so what's happened is so he's been banned for four weeks 
you know what I mean? He's been banned for four weeks. But to after that, to get it back, he has to pay, he has to do this retraining. And the retraining is very expensive. So, uh, and then on top of that, he has to pay a 200 euro fine. I mean, the euro is bullshit. So what is that? 50p? I joke. I joke, people. He has to pay a 200 euro fine. He gets two points on his license. <laughs> You're in straight out the gate. He's fucked his insurance. Moron. And then the probation period of being a new driver goes from two years to four years. So again, that's going to hurt him on the uh, on the insurance front. But, but, you know what I mean? I do kind of feel that this is a big deterrent. Because you have people that have multiple fines for speeding and shit like that. So if people, if they were caught going at a certain percentage over the speed limit, if you kind of hit them with a big fine, if you made them pay for this training. Now, because I know people that they've, they've been clocked and it's either pay a fine or go to this training, which you can go to on the weekend. No. Instead, you have to pay, say, a grand to do this retraining. I don't know. What's a big amount? So you have to pay this big amount to do retraining. No if, buts or justs. You know what I mean? No getting away from that shit. So you have to pay that. Then you have to pay a big fine. You get points and then you get put on probation. I believe that would be a really big deterrent of people speeding or going mad slow. You know what I mean? But I, I think this might be the way forward. I think the Germans have taught us you know what I mean? How to punish dickheads on the road. You know what I mean? I, you know what I, mean? I, I think we could learn from this. Okay, people. I'm going to let you in to um, something that's going to be a big help. Because we're coming up to Christmas, unfortunately. And the biggest thing about Christmas is the shopping for food. Because it's insane. Everyone goes crazy. It's difficult sometimes to find what you want. So I'm going to give you a little tip that will make this so simple. So simple. All right. So the thing is, HelloFresh are doing a Christmas box. Okay. So in the Christmas box, you can get. A butter-based turkey with fresh rosemary and lemon. Pigs in blankets. So it's pork sausages wrapped in streaky bacon. Roast potatoes with a rosemary seasoning. Balsamic Brussels sprouts. Yeah, sounds good. With cranberries, pecans and pancetta how tasty does that sound 
truffle root vegetables with cheese, garlic and thyme. Seasonal stuffing, pork cranberry stuffing balls. Slow cooked spiced red cabbage with bramley apple and cinnamon. Now I've made red cabbage with apple and it is so good. So that will be amazing. And then festive gravy, a rich and delicious gravy. And um, you can also add a cheese platter with, um, yeah, you know, uh, charcoal crackers, quince chutney, and a whole load of uh, cheese. So they do that box. They also do a box with a dessert. And the dessert is luxury Christmas pudding with brandy, butter, caramel sauce. Talk about decadent, right? And the box comes in four different sizes. So you can get it for four people, six people, eight people or ten people. Which is pretty damn good. Alright, so I'll give you the figures too, man. So for four people, it works out $19.99 per person. For six people, it's £16.66 per person. For eight, it's £15.62 per person. And for ten... It's £14.49 per person. So that really makes Christmas meal really affordable. But I'm going to give you a code that will give you 10% off that box. Don't tell me I do nothing for you people. So all you have to do is in the checkout, enter the code Kevin Christmas, and that will give you 10% off your Christmas box at HelloFresh. So I'll put this in the episode description, but yeah, it's Kevin Christmas. Boom. Nice. I've just saved Christmas for you. You're welcome. In what now seems to be an annual tradition, I headed to the uh, South Bank Centre on Friday night for um, the opening gala of the uh, EFG Jazz Festival. So it was um, Jazz Voice. And for the last few years, I don't know, I think, I think this is the fifth, sixth year now, the past year has always been a really kind of energetic, boisterous, you know, rambunctious affair. So, you know, the lineup was good. So I wanted to check it out. So hosting was Jamuka Fashula um, and Guy Barker was... Uh, the guy in charge of 
um, a 42-piece orchestra who, they really were phenomenal. The orchestra was top-notch. They, yeah, they were just great. Ah, very good. Really enjoyed them. Uh, and the vocalists on the bill tonight were um, Marizia. Um, there was Lee Deleria, who um, I think she's a, a character called Big Boo from um, Orange is the New Black. So, um, yeah, suppose that's meant to be a big something. So, uh, yes. Um, then Lisa Stansfield came on now a lot of people might remember lisa stansfield from the 80s oh yeah she's still around and she's still doing her thing also there was um leela bali from canada um anthony strong alan harris charlie wood and Zara McFarlane. So, yeah, you know what I mean. This this was an extremely good, uh, extremely good lineup. So, um, yeah, yeah, just headed down, and it, you know, it started well. Like, um, what we had, um, who who was a, um, it was Leah Delaria. She opened, and then um, Anthony Strong. Uh, both were fine. Both were fine, but I think the the music kind of drowned them both out a little with their opening numbers. But then things really did pick up because. Um, we had uh so we had diva mala uh yes diva mala i forgot to mention her um yeah she came on and oh she really did up up the tempo of things like her her vocals were just very prominent just they kind of rolled, they seduced you, you know what I mean, they, they, they were there, loud and proud, and just resonating through the whole uh, festival hall, yeah, so she really, she was like, look, this is it, you know what I mean, and the night, re I think that's when the night became something special, after her, Zara McFarlane came and I've seen McFarlane a few times and I have to say this was probably the most poised um, and composed I've seen her on stage and because of that she really did own it you know she her vocals were extraordinary tonight yeah I, I have to say she she really was on top form, which was great. And I think uh, the good thing was, and I think what stood um, McFarlane and um, Mahala apart was 
they did original pieces. So to start off, we had um, I think like Anthony um, Anthony Strong and uh, Leah Delaria. They did um, standard pieces, you know, jazz standard pieces. So it it was nice to hear some original pieces, and with the vocal range and, and the the presence to you know make that statement. So that was just yeah, it it really did um, impress. Then we had um, I think Maz Marisa. She took the stage. Uh, Marisa was, um, I believe she's from Iceland. And so she was singing, you know, in a native tongue. Uh, and it was interesting because, you know, you couldn't understand what she was saying. But she was very elegant with it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it worked. It, you know, yeah, it, it really did work. So we had her. Uh, and then we had Leela Bali, who was um, very shiny in a gold sparkly piece. But um, yeah, she she was um, she was good. She was good. Uh, again, it is a little a little bit drowned out by the orchestra, but you know it wasn't bad. And um, and then um. Alan Harris came on to end the first half, and um, yeah, he he wasn't bad, but he was very quiet. You know, think like he he's had a good tone. You know, he was very silky, but it was very um, faint. He he was a bit quiet, so it it, it did kind of drown out a little bit, but. You know, first half was very good. Second half, in the second half was really good. And all the people whose first half was just okay, they really came correct the second half. Oh, my bad as well. Lisa Stanfield was in the first half too. And, yeah, she was really good. Lisa Stansfield. And I don't know if many people have heard Lisa do jazz, per se. Um, So, it was a nice change of... um, Nice change of tone for her. And, and, um, yeah, I think she held held her piece down well. But, yeah, the second half, like, everyone took it up. And... You know, like Anthony Strong, um, Leela Deliria, um, Leila Bali. They, all of them really had a more kind of prominent number this time around. Which really did make help and help them stand out. Because, yeah, the, in the first half, they were a bit kind of um, drowned out by the orchestra. But this time, they kind of, you know, took that step forward and was like, listen, this is me. And, and yeah, they really projected the second pieces and owned the room, which was great. 
I think it also helped that because in um yeah the first time around Layla and Anthony both were playing the piano uh, and for their second pieces they stood and sang and I do think that helped with um, the projection of their voices. Uh, also Layla changed into a, a nice little, a, not little, it was a, yeah, it was a, a, a normal size gown but it was a teal, it was a very nice um yeah very nice gown the, uh, for the second piece but again you know all the all, everyone that killed it in the first half they they maintained again for the second half so um diva was very good McFarlane was very good stansfield was very good harris was very good um yeah this time around harris was a bit he was clearer too um, and then at, at, you know just before it ended Charlie Wood came and um, yeah, Charlie Wood killed it he played a few songs or, like solo and then um, he played with a lot of the others so at first um, Diva came and did a, a song with him and then everyone else came out and they did a big ensemble piece, which um, really went down well. And also the orchestra, they did a kind of tribute to New Orleans, uh, which was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun and it, it really did kind of help kind of just bring the night to a close. So all in all, this was very fun. It was a great start to the um, yeah the next ten days of jazz. So you know if you don't have tickets, you better um, better hurry up because you haven't got long now. You know because it's Wednesday, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then it's all done on Sunday, people. So better. Better run out because you know a lot of the big venues around London will be having um, some little jazz nights. So you know there's stuff at the Barbican, there's stuff at the um, the Crypt, um, Cardigan Hall. You know what I mean? Pizza Express, all over the spot. So do what you can, get tickets, and go and enjoy some jazz. Cool. All right, peace. Yeah, that's Metric Dark Saturday. And god damn it, man. I had an awesome time on Tuesday at the O2 Kentish Town listening to them live. It's been six years since the last time I saw them, which is crazy, man. They were over for the fan for um, you know, touring for their album Fantasies. 
I like had tickets to see them a few years ago, but was really ill. So I was gutted that I missed them. So last night it was yeah off the chain. You know what I mean? It's like I really like the new album. They do, there's not any tracks on it like Gold Guns Girls or Dead Disco, Monster Hospital. You know those real those tracks that just you gotta jump around to. But there's still the, the this incredible music with like these riffs and just this kind of grungy metric feel, but still very different from previous albums. So it's kind of interesting to, you know, hear it live and go, right, how's this going to be in this new setting? And it's funny because you get the way the songs were played last night. A lot of them, they had this kind of distinct disco kind of feel. You know, this kind of funk, kind of 70s, kind of 80s vibe to it all. But still with that distinct sound. And so, like, everyone was jamming, man. And it was incredible. It was, like, great. I ran solo, but still had a great time. You know, that like, a lot of... Yeah, like, basically, Art of Doubt was played. Like, we had most of most of that was played. Started off with Satellite Mind, which really got things going. Um, but then we went into the older stuff still, which, um, you know, Emily said, yeah, part of going to see Metric Live is time traveling and hearing some of those older songs. So... Yeah, we, we had stuff like Help I'm Alive, Sick Muse, you know, all of those things. Gold Gun Girls, Give Me Sympathy, you know, all that good stuff of the Fantasies album. We went into Live It Out, you know, Monster Hospital. Uh, they didn't have glass ceiling, but, you know, we, we still had tracks, man. So it was it was just like it was such a fun night, you know, hearing all those old tracks. Dead disco always gets the the crowd jumping. We had songs from Pagans in Paris. You know, that that was a fun thing, just hearing a lot of the old songs from the old albums, as well as, you know, getting the new stuff. So it was just an all, just a fun time, man. Just like, yeah, I don't think I saw any trouble in the venue. Everyone was just jumping around, having fun. And that's what it's always about when you go, you know, go to um, live music. It's funny, man. It's just like, I think... I think the first time I heard um, Metric was I, I was watching a film. So there, there was a film um, called Clean. And they did Dead Disco. There was a bit in the film and Metric were performing Dead Disco in a club. And I was just like, yo, what the 
fuck is this, man? This song is off the chain. So from there, I just, boom, I just went in deep, you know? So I, I went in, listened to Old World Underground, um, Grow Up and Blow Away, listened to those albums hard. And then, you know, Live It Out came out. So it's like Monster Hospital, Portrait of a Girl, Help I'm Alive, all of those songs. Uh, and it was just so fun. Like going, like going, seeing them live at like little venues as well is always just a great thing. Man. I, ah, it's just so much fun. And so, yeah, it, it, it all builds up, you know, these experiences and, and the music and like just the emotions that kind of get invoked when you hear those songs live. And every time you hear them, you know what I mean? The arrangement is slightly different. There's a slightly different emphasis on things. But it's still the same songs. It's still, you know, the same fun. You still get that same feeling when you hear them. So, uh, yeah, that was an awesome night. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. And, um, you know what I mean? Like, Emily sings with Broken Social Scene. Like, she wasn't, like, I managed to see them a few years back. Emily wasn't with them, but that was still fun. But, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, her and um, James Shaw go back to Broken Social Scene and do anything with them or, or anything like that. But, you know... It's just whatever does come next, you know it's going to be flavor, man. You know it's going to be flavor. And I would say, look, if, if you haven't, go check out their stuff, man. You know, so we go with Old World Underground, um, Grow Up and Blow Away. Then it's Live It Out, Fantasies, uh, Synthetica, Pagans, in vegas and then the new album is art of doubt so check them out on you know apple music spotify whatever the fuck you listen to all right and if you get a chance go see them live metric you will not be disappointed well i have had the best night Oh my gosh, incredible. So, I went to see Ari Shafir. He was playing at the Leicester Square Theatre and doing his new show, Jew. And it was one of the funniest shows I have seen. It was so damn good. And that was so great because the night started on a bit of a meh note. Went to see... Uh, uh, had a film screening, so went to see that, it's got to do a review on it, and the film wasn't, it wasn't the best, let's just say that, right, it wasn't the best film, um, but the cats at Strike Media are extremely nice, so nice, man, met a couple of them while I was there, Kara Maisie, they were cool, the film itself, it, yeah, but, you know, 
we'll, we'll talk about that in echo chamber but so for some i don't know because it wasn't it was easy to get out of that screening um but i waited for all the credits to finish and um another reviewer she waited and so we just started talking so we were talking about the film um yeah i feel i bullied her because i was like oh so what did you think of the film she's like oh yeah it was okay yeah i thought it was all right i was like okay okay but did you notice this and this and this and this and then she's like yeah actually now I think about it, you're right, <laughs> that film sucked, I was like, oh shit, I should have just left her to her own opinions, <laughs> but um, yeah, so we, we were talking, and I was just like, look, I've got a spare ticket for Ari Shafir, why don't you come, and she's like, yeah, okay, I'll come, she didn't actually speak like that, but you know what I mean, so she came along, and um, because it's dark, so I don't know if she <laughs> enjoyed it or not. She had to leave a little bit early because she, otherwise she'd miss her train home. So I don't really know <laughs> if she liked it or not. So I guess if she contacts me, she she was okay with it. If she didn't, it's because she thinks you took me to <laughs> the wrongest comedy show ever, you asshole. But. Hey, regardless, I thought it was incredible. It was so funny. So basically, this um, this new show of Ari's, he um, he walks us guys. A new term I learnt tonight. He walks us through what it is to be Jewish and all the different intricacies of Jewed Judah. Judaism, 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 I think that's a word, and that's what we're going to stick with, so yeah, he takes us through all of this, so like Hasidic Jews, Orthodox Jews, I feel there was another one, but I forget, uh, like yeah, just the, the all the all the different kind of craziness. The um, Ashkenazis, the Sephardims. I'm butchering this, but you know we get everything broken down. So <laughs> yeah, the sheep. <laughs> Just like, oh man, it was so good. It was like some of the stories, like, you know, the chicken that takes on the sins in Yam Kippur, <laughs> the bad Jewish miracles, you know, like a candle that burns for eight days. <laughs> and that, that's the biggest miracle. <laughs> Oh, I'm saying though, listen, if you get the chance to see it, you have to go see this show. So good. I was was so good because I I was going to catch him in Edinburgh. I I had tickets to go to Edinburgh. um, But 
couldn't find anyone to go to fucking Edinburgh. So I couldn't go to Edinburgh and I was gutted. And then this came up and it was so good. And I'm so happy this came up because it was, it's such a funny show. And Ari Shafir is hilarious. He's just straight. Like, I know Ari really from Skeptic Tank, Legion of Skanks, like Joe, you know, the Joe Rogan experience, Sober October, all of those things. You know what I mean? And if anyone else listens to podcasts, they know what the fuck I'm talking about. But I've, this is the first time I've seen him live. And God damn it. You know what I mean? Because his Netflix special is fantastic. Double negative. If you haven't seen it, check it out, people. It's on Netflix. Double negative. So, you know, all of this is funny. But it's a completely different experience to see him live. And I think it's just the ease in which he he tells jokes, you know, the presence on stage, all of that. And just taking all of these crazy subjects, you know, like the lies <laughs> that he remembers. Like God taking a rib from Adam. And thinking, all right, so men have one less rib than women, you know. Um, <laughs> like Adam being all about the back butt, you know. <laughs> and mad into bestiality. <laughs> it's, uh, it was so good. So good, you know. And, and he ended... Like, we learn about brist. Brist? Brisk. Not brisk. That's meat. Isn't brisk meat? That's like a piece of beef, right? Brisk? It must be bist. Bist. Where rabbis suck dick. But, um, yeah. Well, allegedly. Supposedly. I mean, in the ancient times. Yeah, I'm not saying they do it now. But, you know, it was just a thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun show about religion And, you know, religion is one of those topics That people can get really uptight about And aggy So for someone just to be able to tell these jokes And no one took offence The whole place was laughing Laughing their asses off well, when I say no one took offence, I still don't know if the girl who I brought took offence. But we will find out. <laughs> I will keep you posted on that one, people. But yeah, everyone else I could I, I could hear laughing. I think she was laughing, but I don't know. I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. But everyone else was. So it was awesome. And the, the, the best bit, there was a lot of Jewish people in the audience. And all of those people were laughing their asses off as well, you know. Even the unclean women. Hey, that's, you know what I mean? That's not me. That That's something we were told, you know what I mean? That for half the month, women are unclean. You know what I mean? That's, that's not, I'm not endorsing that. But it's just what we were told tonight. So... Don't shoot the messenger, people. 
<laughs> but yeah, it, look, if you get the opportunity, go catch Ari Shafir. It was an incredible night, the best night, cheered me up no end. So, yeah, that's that's it, man. You know what I mean? This has been a good motherfucking year for comedy. Bill Burr, Doug Stanhope, ah, you know what I mean? Now Ari Shafir. And all the other UK cats I saw. Louisa Mumlump, Louisa Mumlump, Alomalump, um, you know, you know the one. Sarah Pascal. Ah, it's been a good fucking comedy year, man. A good year. All right, on with the rest of the podcast. So TV this week, I decided to get back to Vikings. Now, Vikings is... A TV show which was, I believe it was the History Channel's first actual TV scripted series. And it follows the exploits of Ragnar and his uh, his rise to power, you know, of his uh, Viking clan. And so... um, yeah, season four. Yeah, like it's it's so gritty and and real. Like Game of Thrones is great. You know what I mean? It, it's it's crazy, lavish stories, but Vikings is actually steeped in realism. You know, these are the Vikings came. This all happened. This is all based on actual true stories, true moments in history. I mean, Game of Thrones is as well, but, you know, that was just longer ago. So, the setting of season four. So, um, you know, season three culminated with an extraordinary battle in Paris and Ragnar was able to turn what was looking to be defeat into victory but he still had to return to Khatgat and he was re- he was uh, extremely ill from a fall and a wound that he sustained in that battle so Thoughts of his death have started to galvanize with all the forces who seek to succeed him as king, including his wife, Queen Aslag. Hmm. And so, yeah, so we have Ragnar, you know, he's back home, he's ill, everything is looking a bit bleak. There's mutterings, like people clamoring to, you know, know what's going to happen now. Who's going to come and seize power? Who will now be king? And so the first bit of the story is this. And then uh, Ragnar, he he manages to... Um, find a way to sustain himself 
and then we go on more adventures you know a lot of this is around loyalty I think that's one of the big things of this season it's loyalty and what people are willing to do for power there is a lot of that like um you know with you know the vikings winning in paris they left an encampment there like they do like they did with wessex and rollo was given charge of this encampment he asked to be able to you know rule this encampment and further the viking name but rollo is rollo and uh <laughs> so you know if you've watched previous seasons you'll understand where this is going but this time isn't like the previous times so will there be redemption will there will there be a um you know a, a conclusion to this kind of ongoing vicious cycle who knows but the story does go on and brings about so much craziness so this is the thing we have a lot going down in Katagat and then there's a lot happening in Paris and then there's a lot going in Wessex and Mercia in England so you have all these threads of stories and it's just like where is this going like how will this be concluded but one of the crazy things is so you know I've only watched the first part of season four because unlike the previous seasons which had 10 episodes season four has 20 and I didn't know that so that that that's the thing I was thinking you know uh I'll watch season four I'll review that then get on to season five but no they've doubled the amount of episode but I will say the way season four the first part is left that is it is very intriguing you know the the way things have unfolded so you know a new raid is made on Paris like so we see that and what happens there more things as I say look more things are unfolding in Wessex that is unfolding and everything is building and building and building till we get this huge moment this huge moment then suddenly we leap I think it's 12 years into the future 12 years into the future and a lot has changed definitely a lot has changed we've had a few kind of jumps in the 
previous seasons. I think even since season three, we had a bit of a jump. But nothing to this extent. And so, yeah, like, suddenly we're, we're thrown into this new situation. And everything is kind of, the status quos have definitely shifted. But at the end of the episode, things are teetering because there is a return. And then that's it. A declaration and a call for action. It is very intense. Uh, that's the thing about Vikings. It is very intense with the story. Like the fight scenes are incredible. The fight scenes are so visceral. And the way they're shot, you're up close with the action. And it's not all smooth sword fighting. It's just violent berserk rage for the most part. You know, and that's great. It's just like the feel of everyone. You know, they like you. You have no one's looking pretty. You know, there's scars, there's cuts, there's blood, there's grime. There's just menace in the air. And the costume, you know, the the wardrobes, everything just looks good and authentic. We have no shiny shiny garms here you know this it feels real i think the only thing that kind of gets me with, with this season and but it, it, we don't have it as long as we did in season three and that's this kind of mystical element that they wanted to bring with with Harbard in Midgard um so yeah we it went on for a lot it felt in season three and we have it for a few episodes in season four well the first part of season four so the first 10 episodes there was a little bit of it it's a bit irritating, but it's not for long. So that was good. But I think that was the only thing really so far that that was a bit jarring. Otherwise, yeah, this is very good. These have been a very good 10 episodes. So I'm uh, going to look forward to getting to the next lot. And at some point, I will bring you my thoughts on season four part two but i would definitely say check out part one of season four it's very good so this week the first book i read was um it was slow horses by nick heron um and this is the first book in the slough house series Okay, so Slough House is Jackson Lamb's kingdom, a dumping ground for members of the intelligence service who screwed up, left a secret file on a train, blown surveillance, become drunkenly unreliable. They're the service's poor relations, 
the slow horses and bitterest among them is River Cartwright whose days are spent transcribing mobile phone conversations but when a young man is abducted and it's threatened that he'll be beheaded live on the internet River sees an opportunity to redeem himself is the victim who he first appears to be and what's the kidnapper's connections with a good disgraced journalist and as the clock ticks on the execution River finds that everyone involved has their own agenda I think when I first started this book I was a bit like okay it seems fine but where is it going it it seems very um disheveled and disheveled is kind of an apt description of basically Jackson Lamb and a lot of the characters in Slough House you know like as the story went on it kind of kind of appears that it's like the poorer cousin of um Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, that Jackson Lamb is, um, yeah, the poor man's George Smiley, and that's, I feel, that's what Nick Heron is doing, giving you the sense of, you know, this isn't the, uh, cricket and schoolboys generation of spies we've now got into something different this is a bit more street level a bit more I, I guess you know coke in the in the toilets of a dirty pub kind of situation um and then you suddenly realise that the disheveled, all over the place feel of the book is leading you somewhere. And that this story has a lot more layers than you kind of first want to give it credit for. That things unravel and that the facade that you're first given, that you first see that's all it is, you know, they're they're trying to hide the true nature of the chess game that is being played in front of you, I did think that possibly um, Jackson Lamb was taken a bit too far down the road of, you know, he's a complete 180 of anything you would suspect, you know, did you have him uh, uh, like breaking wind and just being a straight up kind of g- degenerate? And although we do then see the other side of him, I, I kind of think it, you know, playing him so far one way a lot of times to show his kind of disdain of the establishment is probably a bit too far 
you know like I, I you kind of get the impression that possibly someone wouldn't go you know they would show their disdain but would they really do all of these things you know because there are other ways of doing it um but i think that's probably one of the only quibbles really with with this book with the story that's in front of you um i I do like the intricacies i do i did really enjoy like the twists because there was a lot of times where you do think oh gosh yeah i know i can see where this is going that's a little bit obvious I, i yeah and then suddenly oh oh okay you didn't nice so there is a lot of that and I, I, I think that's a good touch. And I think that the setup for more stories wasn't just the obvious run of the mill kind of setup. I think it's left it in a nice place. Although you do wonder at the very end, like something transpires and you think, oh, so why would he then do that? you know, you you are left with that, and I don't know if that will unfold later on in some of the other books, I'm not sure, Uh, because I would like to know that it does get addressed, because it does seem odd that it wasn't addressed, and there wasn't a reason for it not to happen, it's kind of frustrating, because I can't say without giving away a lot of the story, so I don't want to do that, because, um, yeah, I, I, do, I wouldn't want to spoil that for you, for all the people out there, but I will say, look, if you enjoy spy f- books, if you enjoy stuff like, um, you know, the George Smiley trilogy, Mm, I think it's a trilogy, I mean, you've got the main trilogy, but I think he kind of appears in some, he's an ancillary character in other books, isn't he, so, you, like, I'd say the George Smiley main Cora books, look, if you enjoy them, if you enjoy Le Carre, Le Clare, I pronounce it Le Carre, so I'm, you know, and basically, if I pronounce it like that, then I believe that is the canon, that's how it's meant to be done, but if you enjoy his books, I think this will be in your um, wheelhouse, I believe that's a, that's a, that's a term, yes, and um, yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly say, check this out, because it's very enjoyable, and um, yeah, it's, it is very, it's more intricate than maybe first perceived, but it's a great story, it's not too long, not too short, just right as Goldilocks might say, so yeah, this is Slow Horses by, um, by Nick Heron, that's H-E-R-R-O-N, and it's the first in the Slow House series, so check it out people. Okay, so the second book I read this week was die last now this is the fourth book in the max wolf series by tony parsons 
And as you probably may realise, these are be- I've read these books out of sequence. So we did Girl on Fire before this, which is the fifth book. But you don't, I don't think you lose too much if you mistakenly read things out of order. Now, there are definitely things that um, come up that I'll, I'll probably mention in this review that make it kind of necessary to read in order but story-wise it's not going to affect things too much okay so yes this is die last book four so as dawn breaks on a snowy february morning a refrigerated lorry is found parked in the heart of london's chinatown Inside, 12 women, apparently illegal immigrants, are dead from hypothermia. But in the cab of the abandoned death truck, DC Max Wolf of West End Central finds 13 passports. The hunt for the missing women will take Max Wolf into the dark heart of the world of human smuggling. Mass immigration and the 21st century slave markets as he is forced to ask the question that haunts our time what would you do for a home and yeah this this is the big thing because you know we we hear and it's it's big in the news right now with caravans heading to borders you know, like boatloads of people, like traveling, and the dangers people face, like capsizing, muggings, murders, rapes, all these things that people understand happen, but it doesn't deter them from making that, that leap to try and find a home try and find somewhere where they can rebuild, trying to find somewhere where they, you know, can feel finally safe. So that's the big driving part of this story. And, yeah, it is, you know, there's a lot in it that makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, hearing about these situations and the hardships and the you know, uh, the traumatic kind of situations, it's not, you know, it's not a a pleasant topic, but the story itself is is really good, Um, we come across, like, characters um, from previous books, so um, we meet Billy again, Um, you might remember Billy from Oh, I think it was the the slaughter man where he puts out the journalist and burns his hands. But um, yes, Billy is in this. Um, and then just you know the the returning kind of characters like White Stone is in it. Uh, we go back to the Black Library, you know. My, I think the biggest thing that really hit me in this was Edie, having Edie in this story, 
was after the events of Girl on Fire, and it just, oh man, it kind of hits you, and and I think it's like you don't realize how invested in the characters you are, you know, because suddenly you're realizing that yeah, you know, you're 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 kind of like sad. And, you know, the I think the actions of Whitestone in, in this, his boss, you kind of think, I do not like you. You know, he, he, you're just like, God damn it, woman, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing these things? I don't, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. But, you know, that's something that does get kind of touched upon within the story itself as well a few times and so it's all building it's all a tapestry and this and I think the story again it's got these twists in it it's got these twists in it and situations that you don't kind of suspect were led you know, I, I think there's a bit where you think, oh, it could be that person. And then you're kind of led in another direction. And you're like, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, I think this is definitely more organized crime. And then suddenly, and you're like, oh. Ooh, okay. Now that, that was interesting. So that's that's the, the good thing I like about these these books Tony Parson he knows how to keep people interested he knows how to um you know play a story out in a way that it's not too predictable and he's not just dropping his deuce machina on you and you'd be like ugh okay so they survive because ba 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 and so we don't get that, but we do get these great moments. And yeah, this this is a really good book. But you know, the problem with reading book five first is that um, yeah, you it, it kind of hits you in the heart. It does hit you in the heart a little, and you're just like you kind of see glimpses of what maybe could have been and yeah it's just a bit of a shame really but this is a very good book I highly recommend it and I I would definitely recommend reading these books in order yeah I mean, that, that's definitely something that you should try to do but this is Die Last the fourth book in the Max Wolf series by Tony Parsons. Definitely a read that you should do. So I, I ended up doing three books this week. And the first, the third was The Jennifer Morgue, which is book two in The Laundry Files by Charles Strauss. Now, book one was really interesting um and 
it was very intriguing as well because it was very maths based you know quantum physics uh, and all of that so you know on on paper it sounds a bit like hmm but in action in the reading very intriguing very fun and engrossing story so yeah i decided to um get to book two so this is the breakdown some agents have all the fun others save the world Bob Howard is an IT expert and occasional field agent for the Laundry, the branch of Her Majesty's Secret Service that deals with occult threats. Dressed grudgingly in a tux and sent to the Caribbean, he must infiltrate a millionaire's yacht in order to prevent him violently violating a treaty that will start a war with an ancient underwater race. Partnered with a gorgeous American agent who's actually a soul-sucking succubus from another dimension, Bob's mission is to stop the bad guys, avoiding getting the girl, and survive shaken, perhaps, but not stirred. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, that's a, it's very intriguing. But hey, that doesn't even really give justice to what this story is. Because it, it starts to play with archetypes and tropes. And also it kind of deals with um, relationships. And I guess the idea of fidelity within that relationship you know monogamy 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 yes yes it, 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 it kind of deals with that and what actually is monogamy you know like what are the boundaries here is it um you know, not sleeping with someone, not talking with someone, like, what are the confines of intimacy, so that is one aspect that is kind of looked at, but yes, like, the one of the main things is, it's, we play around with James Bond here, which is very interesting, and it wasn't something that you first kind of suspect because the way the story kind of starts you're, you're kind of wondering is is this gonna be I don't know like a hunt for Red October a Captain Nemo type scenario you know is that this story but no then things kind of get flipped and yeah, you're you're thrown into this kind of espionage spy thing. And as I said, look, we're kind of dealing with a James Bond scenario. But it's not. And you have to kind of readdress the confines of what a hero is, you know, and how that all works within like the confines of you know who we are and how the world perceives us 
so it's, it's, it, it's very fun, even though it's dealing with these topics and still with the maths and the quantum physics. So yeah, it, it's uh, it's a good story. It's a yeah, I'd say maybe a little bit down from book one, but still engrossing, still engaging. And it and you're still kind of led down many kind of false trails, you know. It's not an obvious story, which is good. Because yeah, you you kind of think, okay, this is what's gonna happen. But no, then suddenly you're thrown, and you're given like these new scenarios and this new kind of trail. So, yeah, from beginning to the end, I think you are, you're with the story, you know, you're with the characters, and you're thinking, like, how is this going to unfold, like, what what's going to happen next, so I think that's, um, you know, a, a really good trait from Charles Stross. And, uh, yeah, I think Bob Howard is a character that you do want to kind of follow. So, I'm, uh, yeah, very intrigued to get to book three down the line, whenever that will be. But, you know, I definitely recommend this. Um, So, this is the Jennifer Morgue. And it's a book to... Of the Laundry Files by Charles Strauss. I'd say, um, yeah, if you see it in the bookshops or find it on Amazon or Audible, go check it out, people, because um, it's well worth the read. Okay, people, so we've, you know, we're basically drawing to end of another episode. So, you know what, it, this has been a lot of fun, and tomorrow, Echo Chamber is going to be fun too. I had the opportunity to sit down with um, Marco and Catherine Lurie, who... um Catherine directed and wrote a documentary called Back to Berlin. And Marco is one of the motorbikists that make the journey from Tel Aviv to Berlin to mark the, um, the Maccabee Games that took place in Berlin. So, you know, it's going to be... It's, a great interview, so you can look forward to that in episode four of Echo Chamber that will be dropping tomorrow, Thursday. Okay, so we're going to bring you, as we do every week, a little bit of news, and then we're out. Okay, so Amazon have renewed their series Bosch, which is... um. The Michael Connolly 
Harry Bosch novels. It's based on those. Um, so it gets renewed for um, a sixth season. Yeah. So it must be doing well, right? And, um, you know, the fifth season still, um, you know, that hasn't gone into production yet. So they've got a lot of confidence in everything. And, uh, yeah, you can find that on uh, Amazon Prime with Titus Welby playing um, the lead role of Hieronymus Bosch. Cool. Okay. Next up, we've got... um, I don't know. I mean, if people remember back back in the day, there was a computer game called Devil May Cry. I had it on. Um, oh gosh, I think my PS One, like the first PlayStation back in the day. And um, yeah, word is this is gonna be made into an animated TV series. Uh, and. By the sound of it, I believe it's coming to, um, yes, coming to Netflix. And it's going to be um, created by um, Adi Shankar, who's the executive producer of Castlevania, which is also on Netflix. So, uh, yeah, that that, that could be um, pretty fun. And Castlevania's that's been greenlit for a third season. So if you're fans of that, you can check that out. Um and yeah, Devil May Cry is actually getting a fifth instalment of the computer game, which will be out on the eighth of March next year. So uh, yeah, some pretty um pretty cool news it's all about the new series as Hulu has announced that um, they will be doing a pilot of the DC Vertigo comic book series Sweet Tooth Um, so yeah that's going to be um, from Team Downey and Warner Brothers Television. Um, so basically, the story is based on the com- comic book series of the same name by Jeff Lemire. Um, it's a coming of age comic, and it follows Gus, a boy deer hybrid who leaves home to find a world ravaged by a catalytic uh, event. He joins up with a ragtag family of hybrids and humans and winds up discovering a vast conspiracy. Hmm. I don't know. It could... Uh, yeah, it could be good. Who knows? Yeah, who knows, right? Um, a couple more bits. So NBC is, yeah, they're doing a um, TV series on um, 
Bone Collector, which was um, a 1999 psychological thriller starring um, Denzel Washington. Um, And Angelina Jolie was in it as well. I forgot about that. So, the story follows Lincoln Rhyme, a retired genius forensic criminologist who's been left paralysed after an accident on the job. When a harrowing case brings him back to the force, Rhyme partners up with an ambitious young detective, Amelia Sachs, to take down some of the most dangerous criminals in the US. So... I mean, I remember I I enjoyed the film, so um, yeah. I mean, you know, this this could be interesting. V. J. Boyd and Mark Binkaluli will serve as writers and executive producers on the series, um, which is being made by Universal Television and Sony Pictures Television. And Avinir, Alon Schutzman, Peter Trout and Rachel Kaplan will serve as executive producers. And finally, Netflix has renewed their, um, their series Big Mouth for a third season. So, um, yeah, and the second season only just came out, so... You know, things are, um, yeah, really picking up, it seems, on the TV front. Okay, so, um, yeah, that is it for another week. Yeah, just have fun, people. There's a, you know, the jazz festival is still going. It ends on Sunday, so you've still got plenty of time to go catch some good jazz. I mean, there's a lot of comedy out there. Echo Chamber is hitting tomorrow, so make sure you check that out for all your film news. And remember, you can save 10% off your Christmas dinner with the HelloFresh Christmas box. The code is KevinChristmas. Be in the episode description. Alright people, well you take it easy, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Peace.